following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. This is oral history conversation number two about the School Without Walls in Canberra, Australia with Biff Ward. I'm Scotty Foster. Part or all of this conversation may be included in future media, including podcasts, radio broadcasts, documentaries, books, articles and the like. Do you consent to this use, Biff? Absolutely. Great, thank you. School Without Walls, or SWOW, was a fully democratic school that ran from 1974 to 1997 when it was forced to shut down by Kate Carnell's Liberal Party local government. Many of those, including myself, who had the opportunity to learn at SWOW, remain embittered that something quite that good, many would say life-changing, no longer exists. There are scant records available from SWOW, and this series of oral histories aims to fill that gap as fully as possible. So Biff, when did you first hear about School Without Walls? Uh, In 1973, I was rung up by somebody. I think it was Kirsten Arm. Look, I'll tell you what happened was there was a radical American academic educator visiting what was then the CAE, College of Advanced Education, now UC. Oh, yeah, University of Canberra. And he gave a lecture one night, which I didn't even know about, um, about radical education and... Attending that lecture were three people who were still at school, and at least those three, and some PhD students and also Harry Oldmeadow, who was a teacher at Tilopia at that time. And Kirsten Armour was one of those students, and she rang me later. I can't actually remember if I knew her beforehand, but she rang me afterwards and said... The group of them had got together that night, I think, after the lecture and talked about starting a school, like just out of the blue. Yeah, great. And and I was, I guess, a bit known as a radical teacher around town. And so they rang and asked me if I'd like to be involved. I think the first thing was that Harry, he'd put his hand up to teach at it. He wanted to know something about the union. And I remember I had a meeting with him and a couple of others where he described later that I was very brusque and said, no, do this, do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyways, I I had planned to enrol in the university course for that year and I had three small children. But the moment that happened, I I chucked the university idea (laughs) and thought, "I'll, I'll do this. And from, I think it was about May... May 73, we started having weekly meetings and Thursday night at Childers Street, which no longer exists, which is very sad, there was a big meeting hall over there on Childers Street, um, Fibro Place, and Thursday nights for the rest of the year there were meetings about SWOW and I can't remember the first few, how many were there, what I do remember is very quickly grew to a very large group, like I would guess 70 or 80 people would really? come every wow. night. Oh, yes. So lots of students, people in different high schools, several teachers and often the parents, quite a few parents, and occasionally, you know, a sort of um, educator theorist like... Don Anderson, who was um, 
uh, at the ANU. I think he came a couple of times. So it was very... Um, it, I think it hit the zeitgeist, like it was a very radical yeah. period. Right at the right time, yeah. The overlap of the 60s and all that. And people felt like they could create new institutions. And so that's... And those meetings would always be chaired by a student. Um, and I, th- I think by the end of the year, we... Um, we had permission to start the school the following year, so that's a bit of a story in itself. And also, um, this one night, all the people at the meeting who wanted to be teachers, their names were put on the blackboard, and then they left the room. All the teachers left the room, and when we came back in, the students or the people in the meeting had decided who would do what, <laughs> <laughs> what the roles of the teachers would be. So it was basically subject, so a lot of that was straightforward. And and when I came back in, I found I had been put down as coordinator, which was the word we were using because we weren't going to have a principal. Yeah, And yeah. Um, the, the department had insisted that we have someone they could contact. Yeah, a point of contact, <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's a bit of that story. Mm, <laughs> the yeah. other, the other two students that I remember in that group, were Lizzie Patterson mm-hmm. and um, Tony Hill, who doesn't live around Canberra anymore, but Lizzie does. Um, yeah, yeah, we mentioned Lizanne Emery before, didn't we? Yeah. yeah, but this is Lizzie Patterson. Yeah, different mm. Lizzie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and what? Oh, well, do you remember the name of the, the academic who gave that talk? Or? No, I don't. No. If it pops up during the interview, just... It won't. It won't. It hasn't oh, okay. it's popped up for long years. Long gone, yeah. <laughs> Fair <laughs> Talked enough. Talked about it a few times, yes. but maybe maybe Liz Patterson might. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll follow it up. Yeah. What made you decide that School Without Walls sounded like a good idea? You, you basically just dropped your life plans and ran with it. Well, you know... We were still... I was a sort of radical activist as well as a teacher. And there'd been... that 73 was eight years of demonstrating against the Vietnam War. It was three or four years into the beginning of women's liberation, which I was incredibly activated by. And, and so, you know, as soon as I heard this, I thought, yes, of course... <laughs> <laughs> um, I was then teaching at Canberra High, which was just an, a normal, regular high school at that night, time. Not terrible, but not not great. It was just, you know, 30 yep. or 40 kids in the classroom and you went around doing your thing to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what role did you play in, in creating it, do you reckon? Oh, don't know how to answer that question. No, I was just one of the key activists. I, I, I was um, often the voice. Harry, it sort of, um, in terms of speaking to people we needed to convince and so on, it was often Harry and I who would be with some students and who would be um, selected for that. And I became, I think, quite good at being persuasive, it's something I've mm. always done a bit. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah, but so I was just part of the, the key 
core group that turned up to every meeting and was very, very involved yeah, in all nice. that we need to do. Um, another teacher, Julia, Julia Ryan, uh, you need to talk to, mm. has become kind of the historian and she was the history teacher um, and kept all the documents and has now, you know, archived them properly and so on and so on. And over the years, she stayed for many years, whereas I was only there for the first four years. Um, so she knows a lot more of the history and has really followed that and may well remember more of the detail of 73, um, even though she wasn't living here that precise time. Um, the thing you need to understand, it's a bit hard to get your head around, so I'll try and make it simple, is... 73-4, 73 was the last year that the ACT was part of the New South Wales education system. Okay. It ended. And, and then there was a year, 74, which was our first year, where they hadn't really set up the ACT system. So it was sort of like... A bit of a um, wild west. There was a vacuum. Do. There which, was a vacuum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, Vacuums um, are so important in change. And, and at the same time, it was the Whitlam government. Ah. And they had established federally, so they had established a thing called the Schools Commission, um, which was looking to basically radicalise education and or support very... Um, disadvantaged schools, those two goals, as I remember. Um, and I can't remember who we applied to <laughs> in the federal government, but we insisted to someone or other that we needed to go to Melbourne, where there were several alternative schools, and go around and visit some of them. And I think they funded Harry and me to fly first class to Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> And we took three students and, in fact, you know, we just spread the, the um, ticket costs across the five of us and spent two days, I think, I don't think it was a Commonwealth car, but certainly taxis being paid and driving around wow. <laughs> looking at all these schools. So, um, it, and out of that, I think pretty clearly those initial pe ones of us we got really clear at that point that there was a real difference between the government-run radical schools and the private ones. Mm. And the private ones tended... This is a big stereotype, but this is what we yeah, found at the time, and I'm yeah, generalising. Yeah. Um, tended to be driven by one person who had... a what I called a bee in their bonnet, a particular thing about education yeah. they Mission really cared about. people, yeah. yeah. And um, the, the um, government ones, which are often on the sides of high schools and so on, tended to feel like what we thought we wanted to do, which was government um, teachers, people who had got through the government system um, and uh, who were dedicated to very student-centred learning and to doing it in much more relaxed and um, friendly ways than most schools were doing at that time. So we came back going, yes, we're on the right track, yes. <laughs> and, um, yeah. 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 
So aside from the ones that you visited in Melbourne, were there any other sort of schools that, say, international schools or anything? There was In Sydney there was the International School, which I think might still be going, and another one, its name mm. I can't remember. There are only two. Yeah, they were both right. more that sort of private model. Mm. So we didn't visit them particularly. Mm. So do you remember how the name came about? No. Well, <laughs> it came... I mean, I can be certain it came out of big... And I know we had sort of brainstorming meetings and a lot of talk about it. It came out of discussions about what we wanted, like how were we going to be. And so there was a lot of talk about learning in the community, um, not wanting classrooms, which would all come out of, teachers and students out of traditional classrooms of a certain size and shape. Um, and wanting to connect with the community, have community people coming in and people learning not just from teachers but from life and mm. from other people. And I think there were probably... Julia may have minutes of meetings where some of this was... <laughs> um, someone wrote it down, but there were probably many names put out that kind of tried to encapsulate that. And we came down with School Without Walls. I think it wasn't... It didn't be, really become swell. And I think for about a year or two, it wasn't immediate. It was yeah, School Without right, Walls, yep, but yep. it became... And I think some of that was, was people did... created logos and things with the four letters and the tree, you know, it became mm. swell in that process. And, of course, then between that... Almost in the Christmas holidays, I think... Between 73 and 74, when we were about to start, we realised Childers Street was not enough. There wasn't enough infrastructure there that we actually needed a building. And, of course, <laughs> the, the people in this vacuum that we were talking to said, really, now you want East calling yourselves without walls? And I said, yes, we do. <laughs> and so quick negotiations brought up the old primary school that was empty behind the Catholic Church just over here and beside Civic in... Um, <clears throat> just opposite the footy club there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I remember once we got there, we went, oh, we need a bit of furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and again, they laughed at us. And they actually sent us to somewhere out on Dairy Flat Road where... Um, there was a, you know, some sort of building full of junk out of the education system. Yeah, right. The, and the archives, we, so <laughs> furniture we archives. We'll have six of those desks and we'll have <laughs> yeah, great. You know, Twenty of these chairs. We just got stuff, and I remember there was a, a one of those very exotic um, hat stands with lovely curved oh, pieces beautiful. of wood. Yeah, and we we'll took that, that, and that was for. Sort of in, in the near the entrance way for a long, long time, many years. Yeah. 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 So you said you you wound up with seventy to eighty people meeting weekly to um, to set this thing up, and I imagine there would have been a lot of flux of different members. Like the whole group may have been hundred and twenty or something. Yeah, that's With true. only seventy or eighty coming mm. together. We had decided pretty early on that we would have only 100 students. There'd be definitely mm -hmm. be 100 places. We didn't want it bigger than that. Yep. So... Um, I think that carried through right till the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so how did you organise 70 or 80-odd people to uh, into an effective decision-making mob? Um, it, the same as it went on after we started the school. We had weekly school meetings to make decisions. Hmm. And generally speaking, I don't remember, there probably were kind of... Um, conflicts but actually don't remember that yeah nice. we would talk and talk about issues and um make decision by consensus or certainly by you know if, and if there was a big majority hmm. if my sense is that if really we were not at the at least a big majority for us we would put it aside we'd say yeah. we'll talk more or yeah, right, leave yeah. it till later consensus minus two of, or something yeah. it was my daughter later on, I think, at university had to write about some peak experience of her life and wrote about her years at Swell yeah, and right. called it the golden period. Uh-huh. And, you know, in many ways those early years were. Mm. I look back now and I'm just appalled at how the things we didn't know and didn't do. But, um, oh, look, but, I think it yeah. worked pretty well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And what about... Negotiating with the bureaucrats, you said you were one of the core communications mm. team who mm. was doing that. Mm. Was that as tough as I imagine it would be doing it now? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think partly because of this, what did you call it? The void. Vacuum. Vacuum, yeah. yeah. Um, that they were all at sixes and sevens and also the radical nature of the 70s wasn't just on the fringe where we were mm. you know it, it was there were people through the system who were wanting change as well mm. and i could name some but i'd miss some out too but we always i mean i'm sure they thought we we were um sort of weird and exotic and a <laughs> bit of a laugh yeah but they also really listened and um and we got support yeah, from key great. people. Mm. Yeah. And do you reckon that it would actually work now? Well, see, that's a very like Would it different... get through the bureaucracy is well, what I mean? Well, I almost think it doesn't need to hmm. because partic- all education, all of it, but we're talking senior high school, in that case year 10 and colleges, um, it's changed so much in those, whatever it is, 45 years, mm. nearly 50 years. Um, we used to say it's well, our goal, because the college system started the year after we did, so we're yep. all sort of new, um, that one of our goals was to cha- influence the college system. And, it, you know, we did. But it probably would have happened anyway, but within a few years, you know, lots of teachers elected to be called by the first name, which was unheard of before Swell. Yeah. Um, um, and, yeah, sort of that idea of much more um, collaborative relationships with teachers rather than, um, you know, top-down. All of that had already happened, started to happen. And when... The college system a few years ago had a 40th anniversary and Julia went and I went along. She was asked to speak about SWOW and because we started a year early, she got to speak first 
And she said, we, used, we regarded ourselves as a, oh, some Russian Revolution reference to a sort of red cells, <laughs> yeah, a red right. cell, and that we would, you know, going to change all of you, which I think most of the people in the room went, what? I had no idea what she was talking about. But we, and we didn't do that in any structured organisational way, but we believed it would happen by osmosis, and I believe it did. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean... So, so really, I don't... I think if someone wanted to create a radical school now, it would be really different and it would probably be on social... You know, done digitally or something that I can't <laughs> even imagine. <laughs> yeah. And how did that group figure out what to implement? Like, you'd taken little bits and pieces out of the different schools you visited and read about and... Was that a conscious process or did the model just sort of emerge through the meetings? Feels like it emerged. Yeah, well, it's um, an emergent way of doing things, isn't it? <clears throat> Having been through it myself. So. I think um, in terms of what we taught, we um, covered off the high school certificate, which was the last year of, yep. 74, um, those subjects... Well, all the ones that we could. We couldn't do absolutely everything. Um, But also we always were able to create courses that we found interesting, we thought the students would find interesting. So in a way we um, were able to the hobby horse thing, (laughs) but just in terms of content. And and the fact is, given the... Um, predilections of the teachers. We were really driven by ideas of feminism and almost anarchism of self-regulation and um, consensus decision-making. So a lot of the courses came out of that and also interest in in arts. Harry is a huge film buff. And he talked a lot about that. Um, so, yeah. Mm. I remember only once in my four years there, someone came to me and said, I really want to know something about punctuation. <laughs> Harry and I were the English teachers. I did a bit of history and English. And I said, oh, fantastic. And so I sort of put up a notice, you know, when this would happen this yeah, special work, lesson workshop on punctuation. and lots so many people came yeah, it was right. very exciting but no one asked for a second one I was like oh no <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. Mm. interesting yeah now on the the meetings and that emergent nature of outcomes from the meetings which again carried through all the way I've found it extremely difficult to explain that to people throughout my life post swear. Mm. <laughs> so we, we haven't it, mentioned here, but you were there from when? I believe it was about 88 to 92, okay. but you know, that's just from doing the maths and I'm not quite sure, roughly there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so there were still weekly meetings then? Oh, they were daily. Daily? Yeah. yeah oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bit much. <laughs> Every day, yeah. They're only two hours. They're limited to two hours unless people agreed to go longer. But yeah. Right, right. Yeah. 
Um, I think they were daily anyway. Maybe there was a couple a week. I'm not sure. Mm. Yeah. No, I'd I have to get someone with daily. have to get someone with too much to me. <laughs> get someone with a good memory to confirm that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, unless it's someone who was at Occupy or someone who's been to some other mm. thing, where I've I shorthand call it daily democracy, but mm. um, have you thought of any good ways of explaining that to people who haven't been through it? No, and I, th- I have been through it in other contexts. For me, it was quite a few peace camps and yes, yes, Narunga and Pine Gap and various things I've done and since. Um, yeah, and you. I can't think of an example right now, but I know in, in the news, I'm a bit of a news junkie, a political junkie, and there are moments in time somewhere in the world, and the Occupy movement in America was one, where it, that it's happening. That's what they're doing mm. because there were no stars. You know, you can just tell when something's democratically, organically, truly collaborative and um, based on consensus. It's it's clear from what doesn't get in the news, <laughs> yes. you know, about stars or manifestos or anything. It's mm. just people together doing something. And, um, and it is hard to imagine. It sounds so uh, idealistic unless you've experienced it. And mm. if you try and explain it, as you asked, People just say, oh, that sounds ridiculous, <laughs> too idealistic. <laughs> how how could work. that work? Yeah. 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 Do you remember why people decided 100 was a good number? Not particularly 100. I mean, obviously it's a round number we're all familiar mm, yeah. with. But we were very clear. Or small. Wanting About being small, yeah. Mm. And I guess... A hundred like, makes you look serious. There's enough people there, but mm. it's also manageable and you can you can actually know a hundred people. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah we had ten teachers at the beginning, so it was yeah. incredibly good ratio. Yeah, 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 that's good. So when I arrived there, there was a culture well established and like a good human, I naturally complied with the uh, what everyone else was doing around me. But how on earth did you early folks actually manage to establish such a fundamentally different culture within that place compared to what was going on just about everywhere else and still does go on everywhere else? Well, I mean, it started with those weekly meetings at Childers Street mm. and the next year when we enrolled and had a waiting list. <laughs> it was pretty <laughs> exciting. Yeah. Um, I guess, as I said, coming from the teachers and the inclination of many students was that desire to make decisions by consensus and, and also the practice which we established way back in 73 when we were negotiating and so on of anything we had to do with the bureaucracy we took students um or you know it would be a mix of of teachers and students and even if students didn't feel able to speak in that um setting we always and they said it was fabulous to learn how that operated and to Mm. be in on the grown-ups and all that yeah um so, so the principles like that, that 
you know, have effects on people because they're being um, included and respected and treated as equals. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I think didn't really work, um, well, it sort of did, but it was such a headache. It was our biggest headache, was timetabling. Yes. Like ridiculous, really, but, you know, try, <laughs> because our principle was to try and ensure that every student could go to everything they wanted to. Yeah, and wow. Which, which, you know, is ridiculous. Well, it's hurting cats. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. And people stayed up all night, I think, sometimes, trying to create early in the year, trying to create this timetable. And I, when I look back, I think that that level of idealism, everyone can have what they want at all times, is, is not realistic. And I think... Mm. Even good anarchists will go, we have to compromise sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's or, right. Or yeah. know that we can't have the dream all the time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that just reminded me a little bit of, of what uh, Cathy McGowan put in place in that first community mm. independence thing mm. in Indi where she, and that's carried on to, until today with, with uh, Helen Haynes, is... Uh, bringing the constituents into Canberra um, mm. and, yeah, putting them up, taking them around, hosting them in the office in Parliament House and mm. meeting different people. And, I didn't know yeah. that was a particular part of her yeah. operandi, yeah. Yeah, it just reminded maybe, me of that. Maybe all the Teals are doing that. I think uh, <laughs> so the Teals aren't really a, a block. No. No, that's a, a but, media invention. But, but, but the Haynes mob calls themselves the Community Independence Movement. But Cathy McGowan yeah. visited all those teal oh, I'm sure, electorates yeah, yeah. and there was actually a real campaign um, of support for yes. each other. I mean, they, they, they aren't a block, but they did have a whole thing going on during the election that yeah. um, involved Helen and Cathy McGowan. yeah. And was targeted at all those seats, and what she that those two women had learned from Indi. Yeah, yeah which is fantastic. Mm. Yeah, mm. and I think they've had a couple mm. of conferences now too. So mm. yeah, that's mm. uh, good stuff. Now, when I was going through SWOW, there was a couple of rules that the uh, the government had imposed. You know, no smoking, and if you're under fifteen, you have to sign in and couple of things like this, but the one rule that was from the school was simply respect for all. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that in the early days or no, was it? Not, not those words, but mm. <clears throat> I believe we practised that pretty successfully, mm. I think. Um, there was, I'll just throw this in because it comes to mind, there was one student who... Um, Flirted with Nazism at one point. <laughs> Would have fit and right in. <laughs> since Not. gone in a very different direction. But I remember one of the teachers refusing, the school photo was being taken, which was always a bit of a kerfuffle, but she refused to be in the photo with his um, Nazi armband, this swastika. So, I mean, in a way, 
she also would have been absolutely open to having conversations with him in special sessions or whatever, mm, treating him with mm. complete respect, but there were limits. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And so I don't remember those words, but I, I, that was our practice. Mm. 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 Yeah, well, I guess part of what I was referring to as the culture was that people would actually take that seriously. Yeah. So if someone did feel slighted in the corridor or insulted, then they had the opportunity to take it to a meeting which is that however often it was meeting which would also take it seriously mm -hmm. yeah so there would be i think the closest thing i could find to it these days so far is restorative justice yeah. sessions yeah. held within the meeting to deal with discipline in the school as well so, yeah 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 and the belief that you can nearly always talk things through mm. if people come with Good intentions. Yeah. 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 And we covered a bunch of these questions. So how were you faring in the conventional system before you came to SWOW? You Fine. were a teacher, you know, just cruising. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love teaching. I've yeah, always great. loved it. And I used I was an English history teacher half and half at Canberra High School, and there's no question that I used my teaching to convey ideas <laughs> to students. I had someone actually contact me when my book came out six or seven years ago, whom I didn't remember, um, but he was in my senior history class, year eleven and twelve, and it would have been. 72-3, I think. And apparently I talked about the Vietnam War often. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, specifically remember that, but I know I would have. And he was very influenced by me. And he, so he met up with me, you know, in his 60s to tell me that um, he started taking these ideas we were discussing in the classroom home and his father was incredibly angry, enraged by this, <laughs> and it reached a point where his father said, I'm going up to the school to complain about her, she shouldn't be teaching, and his son said, well, if you do that, I'm going to leave home, <laughs> <laughs> and his father didn't do it, so, yeah. so you know, I was lucky, um, and I, I loved teaching always, and the ideas, and the and hearing what young people said, you know, and working with it and all of that. Um, so I was doing fine, but Swale sort of catapulted me to another level. Because <laughs> yeah. also, to satisfy the department, we, I had to become a band too. So there were four bands of teaching and we were all band ones. None of us had gone for promotion. And so suddenly in 73, late 73, I went for promotion and um, got it. And, um, yeah, so it, it kind of made me much, much more involved in my teaching than I had been before. I mm. sort of just did it on the fly almost. Yeah, right, yeah. 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 So students would come through fairly rapidly... And how did the, uh, the the cultural knowledge be maintained within this whole thing? Well, those first four years I was there, 
some people came and went, but a lot of students stayed and stayed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, And some, I mean, in those first four years, some students were there for with serious academic intent and did well. Um, and some just needed somewhere to be that was safe and caring. And we were fine with all of that and whoever. Some students moved in and out of those states, probably mostly cruising until late in the year and going, oh, maybe I do want this. <laughs> um, yeah, and... And at that time, it may have changed later, but at that time, the way I saw it was the student body consisted of people like those first three, in fact, and some others who had the academic intent and just really wanted to be free to learn more widely than the straight high school um, and were sort of disaffected with the straight high school. And then there were people who were, um, who didn't fit, who didn't fit, were probably lonely. I mean, we didn't have the skills in those days to explore that, but you could kind of tell sometimes this is someone who really hasn't been treated well. And they would come to us. And then there was a whole bunch, particularly at the beginning, Harry... Tilopia did a big um, recruiting job and <laughs> that very first intake a lot came from. And they were, I mean, really, the ones I leaped to mind were kind of probably from working class families who didn't jibe with straight education and just, you know, the idea of something different. They went, yeah, yeah. Let's give this a and, shot. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and some of them went academic, but a lot didn't. And some a lot did would just go to two or three lessons a week of something they were interested in and just be there. And I have a memory which someone else has said isn't true, but anyway, at the end of the <laughs> first year, 74, when it was that very last group of HSC students, and I think there were about 15 or 20 of them, and one afternoon late, just happened, it must have been the end of a lesson or something, that Harry and I were sitting there with these students. It must have been an English lesson or something. And we got into, what are you going to do next year? And they, we, they did a round. And all of them, except two, all of them said two, I don't know and I feel fine about that. <laughs> and the two who, who said something... One said, I'm going to work with trees, and she has, very high level now. And the other one said, I'm going to explore the beaches of Australia and write poetry. And in fact, he explored the beaches of Australia as a geography academic and wrote a PhD and was, you know, had an incredible, successful career in which he says he always used SWOW principles with the students at the ANU. <laughs> yeah, nice. And that's your, but, uh, your tentacles ha- reaching yeah, out, isn't it? Yeah, Harry and I thought that was wonderful. Most of them don't know and they're really happy and two do know. And mm. maybe they will and they did. <laughs> mm. So was attendance at classes mandatory? No. No? Absolutely not. Of course not. <laughs> you couldn't do anything, <laughs> anything like that. But the people who 
were committed, were really committed. You know, mm. they really wanted that. And and so, you know, some just loved the learning, you know, the, and the ideas and so on. And a lot of them will say that that kind of it's really political. The the philosophy, the philosophy. Mm coming from the teachers around social justice and feminism and anarchism and so on really influenced them. Mm. Yeah. Well, I've yeah. got to say, I'm one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And by the time I got there, there were a certain number of businesses around town who, if they had a, a well-achieving SWAR student apply, they'd snap them up because they knew that those people were absolutely self-motivated, very smart and really interested in learning. So, Wow, I've never yeah. heard that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. We, I did hear that um, a lot of the people who went off to uni in that first couple of years were just mystified by the other students <laughs> and how they wanted to be, well, what they said, spoon-fed. They didn't know kind of how to do their own learning and research and mm. stuff, and the SWAL students really did. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, learning how to learn. Yeah. 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 yeah it's and what you said about being self-motivated, I mm. think. To be treated like a grown-up, actually. Wow, just as a human being. Yeah, but yeah. also a grown-up. That yeah. you, you are expected to, mm. to make your own decisions and you can, you can do this. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's that sort of expectation responsibility nexus mm. isn't it yeah. i find myself a lot now in my old age all sorts of people who aren't functioning very well you know from world leaders on the way all the way <laughs> down and i find myself saying they just need to grow up mm. yeah <laughs> you know there's a lot of people who don't have those those skills and taking responsibility like the robo did Mm. Royal Commission we're just having a lot of people can't take responsibility no it's mm. true Mary Graham a uh, Comba Mary Waka Waka elder from up around the Gold Coast tells the story of uh, the initiations would sort of limit your your age in a way if you don't like, mm-hmm. and it's perfectly common in that culture to have 60-year-old teenagers wandering around all over the place. And I think that's sort of yeah, what you're referring yeah, to. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So did you go on the Indonesia trip? No, I didn't. No, no. I was one of the people at home when the cyclone struck <laughs> Darwin. And, oh, my God, what's happened to them? And we're all ringing each other. Yeah, yeah. what yeah. an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the most lasting impressions on you of, of having created this monster? Um, well, I, I agree with my daughter. It was a golden age in the lives of those who were around it, certainly in the 70s and mm. from your testimony for much later than that. Um, and that it was... It was life changing for everyone who was in it. I can, like, I can remember we had this theory, you know, about teachers will be learners too. 
and students will be teachers, we'll all learn from each other. And I can remember the exact moment of the first per time that actually happened to me, you know. Well, we didn't call them classes, we called them learning circles. And I was in this learning circle and a student said something about Buddhism and religion that I'd never thought of and it sort of blew my mind. And I didn't actually <laughs> say, oh, my God, I hadn't thought of it. But I thought, oh, because it felt weird to as a teacher, to actually really be learning. I wasn't used to it. Yeah, so, you know, there were a couple yeah. of those and then I got completely used to it. Um, so it did change all of us and I know because really the rest, nearly all the rest of my career was as an educator of one sort or another, mostly with adults, and I just love that engaging with someone and saying, oh, I've never heard that and making it part of the um, kind of course that I've created for the day. Um, so it, it really affected me as a teacher. I'm sure it took all sorts of edges off me in terms of personality. Yeah. yeah. And um, thinking I know best and being bossy, which I still <laughs> can do. But, <laughs> but that must have been ameliorated a lot in those mm. years. Um, I also... I also remember <laughs> some of the um, demonstrations we went on because there was, there was a couple of times when the ANU Students Association, which was very active and 70-ish, would ring Swell and say, we're having a demo at Blau, can you send some people? <laughs> <laughs> and only people who wanted to go yeah, would go. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yes, I recall some of those events and, um, and the day of the dismissal. At that, in those early years, there were two teachers and one student who was there that whole time, Meg Douglas, she'd be good to talk to too. They, the, we all had the same birthday. And every year there was a, another student, some other student who had that, also had that birthday. So there were always four people had this birthday in November. Yeah, nice. And so every November, around some date or other, we would have a school picnic and we called it the birthday day for the year for everybody yeah right <laughs> and we had we're having the school picnic on the day of the dismissal and so and there'd been a, some farm where there was a great big dam and so we'd been swimming and we drove back in late in the afternoon or during the afternoon to the school with various cars and to drop people off and the students who hadn't come on the picnic came running out and said, there's something happening at Parliament House. And I'm sat the Prime Minister. And basically we all went, and turned right. <laughs> and drove to Parliament House. So half the school was there that day, which, um, you know, fitted with our ethos, but was also gave us an eye into history, you know, mm. like that famous one of, off on the steps when God save the Governor General. Like I was about three metres away from that, wow. you know, and we were everywhere dotted through the crowd. So I remember things like that, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, well, I guess that protest legacy did carry on too. My first forest blockade was with my schoolmates. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I guess apart from the sort of social justice politics like that, it was... The humanism, the, the focus on relationships, on things going well between people and being able to do that as part of your work 
well, no, that's not quite what I meant because I've always done that as part of my work, but it was sort of really elevated in the Swell situation and around that belief that everyone could be self-motivating and, and, and the consensus decision-making that it really is good for relationships, for how people get on together. Mm. Mm. And taking each other seriously and listening, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. So even for the people who were very academically motivated, it was all about how we did it, um, you know, which is what Richard's saying about how he's t taught at the ANU. It was about how we learned mm. and the principles that went into that, yeah. 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 There were certainly no empty vessels that needed to be filled with knowledge. It wasn't like that. <laughs> no, no, everyone's got a lot in them, don't they? Mm. It's amazing. Mm. And you might have already answered this, but did it actually change the direction of your life? Um, well, that's complicated for me because I actually burnt out and was in a very bad way when I left. I sort yeah, of had to right. leave. I was yeah. fell apart. And I fell apart because I lacked self-knowledge. And that's some of the stuff, I mean, I said it right at the beginning, I'm appalled a bit. Like I was the coordinator. I didn't know what coordinating meant. <laughs> no. I had no management skills <laughs> yeah. at all. I was just being myself. Having a crack at it, yeah. But because I had this... Um, individual role people did say to me you know would you do this would you do that uh. and I remember Roger one of the teachers saying once that he saw me as having this big smile on my face and a sack on my back which is where I put everything I had to do and mm. the sack was getting heavier yeah uh, it was a revelation but I it I think it was very true I just Thought, of course, we can do anything. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Keep it all happy and charming. And I didn't know really how to um, look after myself. I mean, we were we were creating a new world. It's incredibly exciting. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. sort of rushing into it and not knowing that that can you can overdo it. And I really had a very bad crack up which is nowadays called burnout, which was a mm. term which didn't exist then. Yeah. There was nothing about it. Years later, I read a book called Burnout. I went, oh, my God, that's what happened to me. Yeah, right. I was yeah. a really, I mean, physically and emotionally, I really cracked up. Yeah. It was awful. Yep. Um, so, it, so the ending of it for me was, is mixed, but, of course, I took all that um, positive experiences with me into everything mm. I did, yeah. Yeah. And I stayed an educator. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, you've done well. A lot of people who burn out in various things wind up doing something completely different. So. Mm. Yeah. One of, one of the things I learnt there is that as an educator, you can take people on a journey. Because uh, I ended up being a consultant trainer, so I would do one-day workshops, find out what they wanted and then create... A journey for the day and um, used 
ex, you know, experiential, personal experience a lot. So I tried to get them to, at every point, to work it out for themselves and come up with a solution of the next bit. And then, you know, we'd be discussing and someone would say, but what about so-and-so? I'd say, that's the next bit we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to do it like this. <laughs> so it, it really, it did absolutely um, open up my teaching methods yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, again that's the uh, teaching people how to learn mm. bit of it yeah, yeah. yeah. um that don't have a huge amount left do you have any, any friendships from that time oh absolutely yeah <laughs> yes yeah. um stayed close to some of the teachers one in particular but very warm, cordial relations generally with any other teachers um, and very close friends with some students, mm, yeah, very yeah. still, um, and a lot more students that um, I really enjoy seeing, yeah. 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 Are they different from other friendships that you might have, do you reckon? Oh, well, they're, they're embedded in Swale, in that experience. I mean, mm. we might talk about other things, but it's all... It all fits. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it all fits that period when we, yeah, and the values that we share. Mm. 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 And as I think you know, there's, in the last five or six years, it's settled into an annual get-together, and I always go to that, but I may, may not one day. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, well, that was where I met you, I think. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So do you know the story of how it got shut down? Oh, look, I, w I was living in Adelaide hmm. when that started. When I came back in 96, um, it, they were having great battles with the department. By then, Swale was reduced to something that was meant to be on the side of Dixon College, but hmm. as I understood, was really part of Dixon College. It had sort of been swallowed up. But there was a, a group of people, including... More recent student who were really battling to save Swell, and I was asked to be part of that. And in fact, I just thought twenty-four years for something really radical—that's pretty good innings. Yeah. And I can't see, given all the attacks on it, I can't see it coming back from this situation it's mm. in now. I think it's time to end gracefully. That yeah. was how I felt. So I didn't. I didn't join in that. Mm. Yeah, I was living out at Bungendore with my head under a rock. <laughs> didn't even know it was happening. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> Went, <Yes>. what? <laughs> yes. yes. And I think that goes back to your earlier question about could you start a school like that now? I mean, maybe mm. it had passed its use-by date. Mm. And I'm sure there's some students who would benefit from something like that. But as a whole educational innovation i don't know that it's needed in the same way mm. yeah you disagree with me yeah <laughs> i've just had a youngster go through the school system and mm. they would certainly i think have benefited mm. from mm. being taken a bit more seriously mm. yeah mm. and i know some of the students probably including myself you know would have been headed more towards the the justice system Mm -hmm. if they hadn't been diverted by going mm -hmm. there. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's a strong Yeah, opinion. you know, the, the freaks and, and weirdos of Canberra have got nowhere to go now. Yeah. yeah. I can also see the smaller size 
really suits some people. Yes, absolutely. In fact, one of my grandchildren, the whole decision around her high school was the smallest one we could find. Yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Now, how would you describe the best school that you can imagine? <laughs> oh, well, it would be swell, I guess. Um, yeah. That, that environment, I mean, like suddenly the um, Occupy movement and peace camps come to me, that environment where people contribute what they can and everyone's equally included and respected just for being there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, any... And, and as a... Uh, what's the word? You know, when you're young... So, uh, Formative kind of experience. I th- nothing could beat that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And what's the best actual operating school that you know of at the moment, say nationally and maybe overseas? Oh, look, I don't. I'm not You're very tuned touch, into yeah. that, Fair enough, <laughs> that yep. kind of world yep. anymore. All right. Well, are there any questions that I should have asked you but didn't? The whole experience, my four years, is swirling in my head. <laughs> lots, of, lots of memories. But, um, yeah. I'll, I'll just tell you one. It's one of my sort of stories and quite a, in a sense about me, but it was a historical moment in 73. So 75, the ACT Schools Authority finally kind of got established and... Um, the head of it was a guy who came from Darwin and, in fact, drove to Canberra with his family and his car had been rolled in the cyclone, so it was sort of dented yeah, all over. Right. <laughs> and his name was Headley Bear and he was quite radical, quite really into change. <clears throat> and um, there'd been a secondary principals council, so all the high schools and college principals had been meeting together for some you know, a few years. And I, uh, we decided that I would apply to join, that we should be part of the thing. Mm-hmm. But they were all men, every one of them was men, and they were all band fours, like the ones who are principals. That's oh, okay. what that means, yep. Yep. band four meant principal. So I was a band two and a woman wearing hippie clothes. <laughs> and I only found out later they spent 18 months discussing whether I, they would include me or not. <laughs> and they finally did. And it just happened by chance that the very first thing I was invited to was a whole two-day residential thing at Barrel, I think. And I ended up driving to this with Headley, like he and I drove down to Yeah, to great. And got on so well. We just really just talked the whole way. <laughs> and then when we got there, he actually sort of really withdrew and behaved as though he hardly knew me, which mm, I'm sure was just politics. Yep. Yeah, sensible for him to do. But his the next morning, his address, his keynote address, and then he left, was about wanting to give the principals a great deal more freedom. They could choose their own staff, they could create their own syllabus and all this stuff. Yeah. And, of course, they freaked out because people have to be led through change and <laughs> yeah. just gave them far too much freedom, <laughs> terrified them. And so I was just sitting there thinking, we do all these things. <laughs> and um, it was a very funny event for me. And watching 
people be some of whom I know, of course, had worked with, but people, watching people be scared of freedom mm. to, to act and be. And gradually, of course, they came around, but they were all pretty snarly at Headley, whom we thought was wonderful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, uh, well, I'd like to thank you and your peers for uh, setting up an amazing experience for mm. myself and many others. You're very welcome. And... Uh, a little tag-on question at the end. Would you be willing to help set up a better new swear? I'd be happy to just sit and chat like this. That's about mm. all I do at the age of 80. Yeah, fair um, enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, that could be very valuable. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, Biff Ward, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Scotty. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and radio behind the lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative Commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au. That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A dot org dot A-U. Or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au. And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new, appropriate economy. Thanks.